we are and what we're doing. It is our heartbeat. As I was thinking about this, I, I thought, okay, let's look at the heart and the important role that plays. We all know how significant that is to our, our lives. Uh, I don't know if you know this, but the average heart beats 72 beats uh, per minute. And that means if you live 66 years, your heart will be an average 2.5 billion times. 2.5 billion times that your heart will beat in 66 years. Uh, your blood is being pumped through your body three times every minute. So every minute your blood makes its way through your body. And in a day it will travel, travel 12,000 miles. That's the United States coast to coast four times that your blood is traveling in a day. I also found this statistic interesting. Uh, the, the statistics of you having a heart attack, a heart attack goes up on Monday mornings. Uh, that's when most uh, heart attacks happen or on Monday mornings. But there's good news if you own a cat. If you own a cat, yeah. the odds go down a third for you to have a stroke or a heart attack if you own a cat. It's the purring. Right? It's the purring. It's the purring. I got to be honest. I'm going to take my chances, okay? <laughs> I, uh, I'm going to take my chances. Cats are great. Uh, but I will, uh, I'll take my chances uh, on, on that one. But, but in all seriousness, in all seriousness, uh, the heart plays such an important role in our body. And, and we've had two in just not too long uh, people here at, at Trinity, two of our men who have, who have had heart attacks and had to be rushed to the hospital to save their lives because the heart wasn't functioning like it was supposed to. And my own father-in-law several years ago goes in for a pretty routine um, procedure and ends up having a triple bypass at 49. And so we all know when the heart isn't healthy, you're not healthy. Yep. You can say that for a lot of things, but, but the heart in particular, if your heart is not healthy, then you're not healthy. And so we want to be a healthy place. We, we want to be a healthy place and not in the sense that everyone is, is, is whole and healthy. Uh, we are going to be a place that's full of broken people. That, that is what we want, that's what we believe that, that God is calling us to, that this is a place for everyone and for all broken people to be here. Yep. But how, how do we be as healthy as possible in the midst of that? How, how can we help relationships be healthy? How can we help our relationship with God be healthy and with ourselves? Actually, next week, we'd love for you to come back. We're going to talk about core value number two that says that we're about helping people take their next step in following Jesus. We know, I know, that in a room this size, that everyone is at a different place when it comes to your relationship with God. Completely different. And so what would it look like for each of us to take one step closer to Jesus, me included? How do we help everyone do that? And so we'll cover that next week. But if we're going to be healthy, we've got to stick to our core values. We've got to stick to what we believe God is calling us to here. And so today we're going to look at our first core value and what we think is the core value of core values. That this influences the rest of them. And that's this. That we find our identity in God alone. Core value number one is that we find our identity in God alone. If I was to leave here and to sit down with you somewhere, if we were to sit knee to knee and eye to eye and have a cup of coffee and I said, what defines you? What, what is it that defines who you are? I wonder how you would answer that. If I asked you what gives you meaning or purpose in your life, how would you answer that question? If I simply just said, who are you? How would you answer that? Or what do you do? 
I wonder if you look in the mirror, what do you really see? Not what does everyone else say about you, but when you, when you look at yourself in the mirror, how do you honestly feel about yourself? I think at the core of all of us, we're really like a bunch of little kids. That, that deep down, we want to belong, we want to be accepted, we want to be loved. So I think at the heart of who we are, we are a bunch of little kids. And when you look in the mirror, I think that's who we see. Watch this uh, quick video. So I, I think uh, really at the core of all of us, uh, that's who we are. We're, we're just a bunch of kids who, who want to be loved, who want to be accepted, who want to belong. We want to find our identity in something that really matters. But ultimately, what happens is that we, we get lost in all of that. I think we're trying really, really hard to find who we are. I think we're really working hard to find out what our identity is, and so we're looking for that. So we're going to look at the very beginning uh, of what we think happened at the beginning of creation and God's uh, first moments. And so uh, if you don't own a Bible, there's a Bible around you that looks like this. We'd love for you to take that. That's our gift uh, to you. Uh, many people are actually doing that, which is great because we are being forced to buy new Bibles, uh, which is good. So if you, if you need a Bible, we'd love for you to, to take one. Uh, if you have your own, this would be a good time to pull it out. Feel free to write in your Bible. I think that can be really helpful, um, and, and we, can, we can learn together. And so write in it, underline it, circle it, do whatever you need to do. And so if you need a Bible, uh, please take one. And so uh, we're going to start Genesis 1, Genesis 1, 27 through 30. It's actually going to be page 2, not page 1, I'm sorry. So page 2, if you want to turn there. And this is what it says. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, this idea of being created in God's image is not just something that resembles the image of God. So my son, who's three, many people say, he looks like me, that he resembles me. I, I disagree. I think he looks a lot cooler than I do, and he's got nice hair, but, but he, uh, people say, you know, he looks just like you, and so there's this resemblance of, of me in my 
my son. But the language that would have been used here is more of this pressing in. More of God's thumbprint on our lives. His imprint has been put on us. Not that we just resemble God, but, but he has had his hand on us. And our thumbprint, his thumbprint, is on us. And so he says, that's, that's who you are. That I've created you in my image. My thumbprint is on you. And then he gives them a purpose. Verse 28. He said, God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. And so we see that, that it starts first with God saying, my thumbprint is on you, and when my thumbprint is on you, you then have a purpose. That there's something more to your life. So each one of us has the thumbprint of God on us. And in having the thumbprint of God on us, we have been given a purpose. You have been given a purpose. And some of you believe that you're living out that purpose. Some of you totally believe that you are doing what God has called you to do, and, and you're right. And some of you are like, you know what, I'm not. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Being a youth pastor for so long, that was a question I had with so many students. What's my purpose? What's my purpose? How do I know what I'm supposed to do? Because we all long for this purpose and meaning to our life. And so this is how it was for the very beginning. They're, the thumbprint of God is on them, and they're given identity, and they're given purpose, but then Adam and Eve go a different direction and they disobey God. And when they disobey God, they're basically saying, you know what, you're good, you're maybe even great, but you know what, I don't know if I can fully trust you, God. And so they begin to kind of do their own thing, and in doing that, they've separated themselves from God. And so the identity that God gave man and woman was now lost, and now purpose has become identity. So what was before our identity is found in the thumbprint of God, now our identity is found in finding our purpose. So what ultimately happens is instead of worshiping the one who's had his print on us, we begin to worship other things. We create these mini gods, these idols in our lives. It could be relationships. So you, you, you place on your spouse, you, you turn them into your God. Or your kids, and so it's relationally we, we make these gods. Or maybe it's your job, and so it's your occupation. What you do becomes who you, are, who you are, and your identity is found completely in that. Or success, or prestige, acknowledgements, those all become your identity. Money, stuff. And really, here's my biggest weakness, and many of you have heard me talk about this before, the God that often takes over what, what God says about me is the approval of people. The opinions of someone else is something I give too much weight and energy to at times. I want to be liked. I want to be accepted. I want to fit in. And so often I'll trade my identity in God for an identity in something else and what someone else says about me. And so I really believe that we're in this identity crisis and here's five things I think that would define this crisis that we are in. Number one, that we're always looking for the next thing to find our identity in. We're always looking for the next one. And so 
for, for if you're a teenager, it's if I can graduate high school. If I can just make it through school, if I can graduate, then I will be all right and I'll find my identity there. But then you get to the time of graduation and you begin to say, if I can just get into the right school, if I can just get into the military, if I can just, whatever it is, if I can just after school, if I can do that, then I'll be okay. And you go through school and if it's if I can graduate, if I can make it through the next four or five years and I can graduate, then everything will be good. And you start to go down that process and then you're like, you know what, that'd be great, but I'd really like to do this with someone. And so if I could just find a spouse, if I can just find someone who will like me enough to spend the rest of their life with me, then everything will be okay. And so we find our identity and our purpose in that. And so we find someone and we get married and then we think, well, that's great, but if I just could have kids. So then we find our identity in having children and how they do and their success and if they make it or if I get a job and then you get a job and you want a different job or a better paying job, or you want to raise in the certain field that you're at. You, you're always looking for the next, and then it's fine if I can just get financially stable. So it starts as a teenager, and it kind of works its way through everything, and we're always waiting for the next thing to find our identity in. And we reach one of the goals, and we realize, well, it didn't quite meet my needs. It doesn't quite give me my identity, and so I'll look for the next thing. And so the second thing that happens is that the thing that we find our identity in begins to crumble under the weight of being in God's place. So God has put his imprint on us and makes us who we are and tells us who we are, but we don't always listen to that, and then we try and find someone else or something else to fill that imprint on our lives. And then it begins to crumble. Anytime you make anything your God other than God, it will fail you. It will not be able to hold up. So if you make your spouse your God, they will fail you, no matter how great of a husband or wife they are. And let me say this, the weight you would put on them is crushing. It's crushing. Same with your children, your, your children's success. When they don't succeed, when they fail, when they're not going to make it through high school, when they don't get into the right college, or they don't go to college, you begin to question it, and you find your identity was found in your children, and it begins to crumble or your stuff. So many people find their identity in what they have or what they don't have. I remember my wife and I, when we got married, we bought uh, a pretty nice table. And, uh, you know, we've, we've had it for the last uh, almost 12 years, and uh, we now have kids, and it is no longer a nice table. <laughs> if you have kids, you know what it's like, and there's Sharpie drawn on it, and there was a napkin put on glue, and you pull the napkin away, and the napkin is still on there, and <laughs> And so we have this table that every night we sit down and we have a meal and we look at it and we're like, man, we really need a new table. And it's like, we don't need a new table because we still have a three-year-old and we have an eight-year-old and it's going gonna, it's gonna to continue to happen. And so when you find your identity in stuff, it's going to crumble because it breaks or it gets stolen or you lose it. And so there's always better. And so you find your identity in these things and they crumble beneath you. And so then what we do is we, when our idols uh, do this, we panic we, we panic when we realize, I'm not finding my identity in that anymore. It's letting me down. My, my wife or my husband are not fulfilling my needs. My, my children are struggling. My, my job is downsizing. I'm going to lose my job. And so we found our identity in all of those things. And we begin to panic when they crumble. And so then, number four, we look for someone or something to blame. 
And so often what happens is we begin to blame ourselves. I'm a fool, or I'm not good enough, or I'll never be successful, or I'm a horrible husband or dad. And so we begin to blame ourselves. And if we don't blame ourselves, what do we do? We blame someone else. It's your fault that I'm in this position. And oftentimes it comes back to blaming God. God, why are you punishing me? Why are you doing this to me? Why are you not answering my, my prayers? Why God? And so we, we blame ourselves, we blame other people, and oftentimes we'll eventually blame God. So then there's this fifth step, and it's the final thing. And you either do two things. One, you say, all right, I, I've been trying for so long to find my identity in so many things that have failed me. Maybe I'll find my identity in the one who's had his print on me all along. Or you start over and you pick another thing. And you go through this cycle over and over again. See, the truth is we all need to be rescued from this. All of us. We need to be rescued from this idea that we don't know who we are, that our identity is struggling. We need to be rescued from that. When Heather and I first got married, it was July, and uh, we hit September. We thought, man, it's been a great two months, and we had so much freedom. Uh, you know what would be really smart is to buy a puppy. <laughs> that was uh, uh, my daughter applauds. Uh, <laughs> uh, so we, we, uh, we buy a puppy, which was a horrible decision, but when you... When you decide to buy a puppy, there's two options. One, you buy a full breed dog, and so we started looking at that, and then we realized uh, we had been married two months, and I was in school, and my wife was working, that we could never afford a, a full breed dog, and so we, we learned about these humane societies. And in these humane societies, you go and you rescue dogs. And man, they, they don't let you leave there. And I remember when, when, uh, when Heather and I go to the humane society, and we begin walking through, and all the dogs are in there. They're cages, and they have names, and they just sit there and look at you like, I'm going to die if you don't take me home. And so they get you, and they, they walk with you, and they begin to tell you the stories of, of each dog. And we'd see a dog, and we'd like it, and they'd let us, no, 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 that one's, that one's taken already. And what, what, about, what about this one? And we see one we like, no, 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 that one's taken. But her sister isn't. Okay, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll look at her sister. And they're like, all right, we'll take her back, and we'll put her in this little room. And so I remember Heather and I going back to this room, and we walk in, and there's all kinds of toys in there, and there's this little brown and white puppy chewing on a metal hook on the wall of this room. And that we should have, at that moment, left. Um, but, uh, but we didn't. We didn't. And uh, we hear this little puppy story, right? And you, you hear what, what could happen if you don't take it. And at the heart of all of us, I think we are about rescue, we are about rescue, and so there's no way we couldn't leave that dog, and so Riley's now been a part of our life for 12 years, and uh, it's great, but uh, in, in the moment, it, it's about rescue, and we need to be rescued, and we are about rescue. We, we want people to be rescued. That's why when the flight, when the Malaysia flight goes down, and all the stories come out, at the core of everyone, there's this hope. There is this hope that people will be rescued. Or the mudslides happen in the Northwest and, and people hold on to hope that people will be rescued. Or the most recently in South Korea and this ferry that goes down and it's teenagers and, and I, I keep looking, I keep waiting for kids to be rescued because we want this rescue to happen. And let me say this, this is the heart of God. Heart of God is about rescuing his people. 
This story is about a rescue from the very beginning to the very end. It's about a rescue. It's about God rescuing his people. A really familiar verse, John 3, 16 and 17. Maybe you haven't grown up in church, but maybe you've seen this at a a sporting event or something. This is a verse that's often talked about. John 3, 16 and 17. It says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to what? To save the world through him. You could say that for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to rescue the world. This is the heart of God. But many of us have missed who God is. And so we, we feel like God is the cop around the corner. We feel like he's just waiting to catch us doing wrong. And as long as I'm not doing wrong, then he'll leave me alone. And so we see him as the cop around the corner. Or we see him as the old man next door. I wave and say hi. I don't bother him. I have a conversation every once in a while and everything's okay. Maybe that's how you view God. Or you see him as Santa in the sky and we ask and we ask and we ask. We just hope that he gives us something that we ask for. Or the cosmic slot machine that you've pulled the lever and you get what you get. And so we, we feel like we haven't really understood who God is. But what would happen if you begin to see God as a good father? A, a good father who greatly loves you, who so loved you that he sends his son. He sends his son to die for you, to rescue you, not to condemn you. Uh, Jesus is so enamored with this word um, father, with dad. He, he uses this word Abba. And in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the first three books of the New Testament, it's used over 65 times from Jesus' lips, this word Abba. In the Gospel of John, the fourth book, it's used over 100 times that Jesus uses this word Abba. Now this word Abba is not just dad, it's not father, but it is this intimate word that means daddy. So if you were to go to the Middle East and you were to walk the streets, you would hear little kids in Aramaic, if they're lost, if they're scared, if they're afraid, if they're looking for their dad, they would call out Abba. Abba. And so Jesus defines and calls God his father, Abba. Now, this isn't just a term that he uses. Paul, who if you've been around, we've been talking a lot about Paul. He's a, a follower of Jesus. He had a past. God changes him and he writes a lot of what we read in the Bible. He says this in Romans 8.15. Romans 8.15 says this, For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. So it's not just this relationship that Jesus has with God, but, but Paul is saying, it's for you as well. It is for you to see the Father as Abba. So when you believe in Jesus, you believe in his life, you believe in what he did, you believe in his death and his resurrection, the grace and forgiveness that comes from that changes everything. And you are no longer a slave to fear, the fear of failure, the failure, the fear of, the fear of losing your identity, that the fear of people not approving you, whatever your fear is, God has not put that in you. God has not made you a slave to fear, but you receive the spirit of 
sonship. So that means that you and I are sons and daughters of God. That when you believe you are sons and daughters of God, that call him Abba, that we call him Daddy. Uh, l- listen to this. Uh, this is another way that, that we're thought of and talked about. It's in Psalm 139. It says this. Oh Lord, you have searched me and you know me. How scary is that? Yeah. Right? That God would search us and really know us. It says, you know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hands upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is a light to you. For you, for you, God, created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. You have had your fingerprint on me from the very beginning. He says in verse 14, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. The one who is writing this says, you know me, you know my mistakes, that you love me. You have known me from the beginning and you see me and I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's workmanship. You could say that we are God's handiwork, that we are his accomplishment. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. I mean, have you looked outside lately? Have you looked at God's creation? Have you seen what he's done? I mean, when's the last time you've been to the ocean? Maybe you've never been there, but maybe you've been to the ocean, you've seen the beach, you've been to the mountains, you've seen what God has spoke into existence, you've seen the universe. Some of you, the people are going crazy about the blood moon. And so God has spoken that into existence and we're fascinated by it. But we also believe that God has spoken you into existence that God has made you, and that you're fearfully and wonderfully made. So we believe that God's fingerprint is on you. And Paul says that we're handiwork, that, that we are a masterpiece created for a purpose. So our identity gives us purpose. Our purpose will never give you or I our identity. 1 John 3, 1 says this, How great is the love the Father, again, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us. Not just a little bit of love, but generously has given it to us. Extravagantly has given it to us. He's lavished this love on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. We are children of this Father who has lavished his love on us. So you and I are meant to live this out. This 
is a core value of ours, that we will find our identity in God alone. And it comes from a loving Father. Not your obedience, not your morality that you're a good person, not by good works, but simply by God's grace. And Him speaking you into existence and putting His fingerprint on you. Some of you are like, man, I've heard you talk about this quite a bit. Yes, you should, because this is a core value of ours. That we will find our identity in this. And here's a, a way we talk about it. Uh, we, we, we use shapes every once in a while to, to remember things. And so if you go from God to obedience, that's often out of fear. I'm afraid of God, and so I will obey God. I don't want God to be angry with me, so if I just do what I'm supposed to, then God will be okay with me. And so if I obey God, then I find my identity in that. And we become a slave to to that. We become a slave to legalism. And so then, if I, if I don't do well, if I don't obey, I go back to God full of regret and shame and guilt. So if you go the wrong way, you've, you've missed it. And legalism begins to creep in. And legalism is, I do, so God will do. So I do this, God will do this. And so the way that we want to look at it is we see God as Father. And we go the opposite direction. And we say, because of God's grace, I find my identity in that. I go back to seeing that my, my life, my identity is in the fingerprint, the imprint of God. And that comes completely from grace. This thing that we don't deserve, that, that we could never work for or earn, is freely given to us. And that says who we are. And then there's freedom to obey. We, we want to obey. We obey out of this grace, and then we come back to the Father, and it's about love. And so when you do make mistakes, you come back to the Father and say, I need help again. I need more of your grace again. As your son or daughter, would you give me grace? Grace says God did, so I'm accepted in love. Legalism is about you. Grace is about God. And so I know we have several groups here. Some of you, I think, get this. Some of you, I think, really understand, as, as we've talked about this, that God is a good Father who deeply loves you. That that's what this is all about. That Easter is this celebration of God rescuing you. And you know you've been rescued. But, but in this room, I know there's a lot of doubters and skeptics. I know that just doesn't seem to, to fit together, and we, we struggle with some things, and I... I totally understand this. God loves you. God loves you full of your doubt. Remember we just read that he knows your thoughts, he knows the words you're going to say, and even in your doubt and your skepticism, he still loves you. And he wants you to find your identity in him. If you are a doubter or a skeptic, please keep coming. Please keep coming. I, I totally believe that God will, will continue to reveal things to you. Uh, then I think there's a group of us who are just kind of the casual Christian. All we've known is church. We've been drugged to church since we were babies. And that's all we know. And so this is what we do. We come here and God is God and I am not and, and, and I do my own thing. But, but I think you have missed it deeply as well. That you have missed this love that God has bestowed and given you. But God loves you. Then, then I think there's a group of people who think they're too far gone. 
we hear of God as a good father, we think we've made just one too many mistakes. That there's no way I could go back to the father again. That there's no way that his love is still available. That there's no way that there's still grace. I have too much doubt. I've, I've thought about it too long. I've, I've made too many mistakes. There's no way the father will take me back. He will. He will. We have this story, and this is where we'll end. Uh, Jesus dies, and he's buried, and three days later, he's risen. He's alive, and he comes and he, he begins meeting with people, and there's this story where Peter, if you don't know this, Peter, days before this, uh, Jesus tells Peter, you're going to deny me. And he actually tells Peter before this that he's going to build his church on him, that he's going to do something great in his, in his life. And so Peter walks with Jesus, and then hours before he's arrested, he tells Peter that the disciples are going to basically desert him, and, and Peter says, there's no way, no way I'll desert you. He says, actually, Peter, not only will you desert me, but you'll deny me, and you'll deny me three times that you'll even know me, that you'll know that I ever existed. And so Peter says, no way, I would rather die than deny you. So the, the, the soldiers come, the guards come, and they take Jesus away. And those who are following Jesus all desert him and they all flee. Then the moment comes where Peter begins to deny. And Peter denies once, two times, the third time he denies him. He remembers the words of Jesus. And the Bible says that Peter weeps bitterly. Peter goes off on his own full of guilt and shame and regret. And he weeps bitterly. Jesus goes and he's crucified and he's buried and he comes back to life. Peter, in the midst of all of this, doesn't know what to do. And so he goes back to what he used to do and he goes back to fishing. See, that's who Peter was. Peter was a fisherman and then Jesus calls him to follow him. And he begins to follow Jesus and his identity is found in Jesus. But then everything starts to crumble, everything falls apart, and Peter goes back to what he's always known and he starts fishing once again. He's out a ways from the shore and he's fishing with disciples and he hasn't caught anything and he hears this voice from the shore call out if they've caught anything, asking if they've caught anything. They say no. And the man on the shore is Jesus and he tells them to throw their nets on the other side of the boat, which he had done once before. And they haul in this great amount of fish and Peter in that moment knows who it is. So it says that Peter wraps something around his waist and he dives into the water and he swims. He doesn't wait. He swims to the shore to meet Jesus. He arrives, and Jesus says, bring the fish to me. He's preparing a breakfast. Now, I don't know how you would feel if you're Peter, but you probably are remembering what you had just done. That you had just denied even knowing Peter, or knowing Jesus. Peter denies this, and Jesus says, come have breakfast with me. And this time, having a meal with someone was a sign of friendship and of love. And he brings Peter back in and says, be with me, spend time with me. And then he gives him back his identity and says, remember what I called you to do. Do you love me? If you love me, then your identity is found in me. Go continue to love people, to feed people, and to continue to build his church. If anybody is too far gone, it would be Peter. Peter denied even knowing Jesus while Jesus is being persecuted and being put to death. He's not too far gone. You're not too far gone. You are never too far gone for God's grace. 
Likewise, you're never too good in, in, in need of God's grace. You're never too good to not need God's grace. We are all in need of this grace. And we are all have this imprint, this fingerprint on our lives. And until we live in that, the things that we are finding our identity in will begin and continue to crumble around us. Until you say, all right, God, I see you as a good father. I'm your son. I'm your daughter. I will find my identity in who you say I am and nothing else. In nothing else. This morning, we're going to end uh, with a, a reading and a few songs. And during this time, I, I would love for you to just reflect and say, okay, who am I? Who am I in this? Where, where am I at on this journey? Where am I seeking my identity? Where have I been putting my hope in who I am? And then ask yourself, how's that going? How's that going? Today may be the day. This Easter, this moment, for many of you, may be the time where you say, I want to believe that God's a good father who loves me deeply and that you'll begin to find your identity in that. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for these people who are here with me this morning. I'm thankful for this this moment that we've had together where we say that you are risen and that you are alive. And because of that, it changes everything. Thank you for having your fingerprint on our lives, that you have put your imprint on who we are, and you have told us who we are, that our identity can be found in you and you alone. Would you help us fight off the other things we have been longing after, the things that we have been finding our identity in? Would you help us to see that those things will never satisfy they will never stand up to what we really need. Help us as we end this service, in this reading, and with this singing to reflect on our own lives. And that as we leave here this morning, we would leave knowing who we really are. Praise in Jesus' name.